Um, tonight we're going to get started with a series on worship. Someone say worship. worship. We're going to do a three-part series before spring break. Asking three questions that are hitting different aspects of, of, of this idea of worship. Tonight we're talking about what is worship. Next week, Kyler's bringing it, unless he has a baby. Um, why do we worship? And then Jordan is answering the question, how do we worship? So we're, we're taking three different psalms, this ancient kind of worship and prayer book that, that Christians, that followers of God have used for thousands of years. And we're, we're, we're asking these questions and, and, and hitting this question of what is worship together. Because here's the thing. Worship is something that you and I have assumed but, but when you take a step back from the assumption, guys, let me just say this. Worship is kind of Like, let me play this out for a minute, okay? A, a room full of people showed up. Some people played some songs that other people wrote and put the lyrics up. And then you kind of like sang them sort of at them and sort of with them. And they sang them sort of at you and with you, right? Like, that's a little, like this weird Christian karaoke thing going on, okay? <laughs> but it's like a group karaoke session, and it's like to Jesus, but sometimes we sing things like, I don't know if you know the song, 10,000 Reasons, like, sing like never before, oh my soul. Am I singing to, to me or to Jesus? Like, how does this work? Like, like, imagine for a second, if you had never been to a church, if you had no clue what this Christianity thing was and you rolled in, you would be confused, right? Worship is weird. Can we just agree on that? Like, maybe we've been around it so long, we've never actually asked the question, what is worship? Like, maybe you've gotten so used to this thing, you forgot it's weird, and you never even thought about it. Like, what were you just doing? You did it, I think. Did you do it right? I don't know, right? Okay, we'll get to how later. But tonight, we just got to answer the question, like, what is worship? In fact, some of you should be much more confused than you really are, because you've grown up around it, and you've grown accustomed to it, and you've, you've never thought about it. And like, no wonder you're not passionate about worship. Like, no wonder there are times where you're just going through the motions, right? No wonder sometimes it's just sort of words you're saying and, and you're not even sure if you're actually worshiping. Yep, dang, thanks. Let's go. Um, when someone is raising their hands to you and and you see that they've got something you don't, let's, let's try to answer that for you to figure that out. And it's not about how many hands we have raised. It's about engaging with the real thing. We've got to figure out what worship together so that we don't miss out on it, so that we don't go our whole lives accustomed to this thing that is actually beautiful and special. What is worship? What is this thing we've been doing? What is it all about? We're going to be in Psalm 29. Please turn your Bibles there. Answer the question, what is worship? While you're getting there, here's a little context. Again, Psalms, ancient prayer and worship book. Believers in God for thousands of years have been using it to provoke their private prayers, but also corporate worship together. A lot of songs we sing are based off of language from the Psalms. Psalm 29. And some of the Psalms will tell us like who wrote them. They'll have a little thing that says a Psalm of David, like this one, or, or some other people that wrote them. Sometimes they have context. Other ones, we don't exactly know who, who put them together. Some of them have like little like, like songs that you're supposed to sing it to that we don't know anymore. And others, again, it's just like a, like a prayer. So Psalm 29 says it's a Psalm of David. Someone say David. David. 
If you, if you know much about the Bible at all, maybe you've heard of David and Goliath, right? Little guy, big guy, little guy beats big guy with the rock, right? That's this dude. David is like the triple threat, okay? He's like a, he's like a warrior. He's a king. He's a poet. We hear about him dancing one time, and maybe that wasn't so hot. His wife didn't like that, so maybe he's not a good dancer. But, um, but, but David has written this, this poem. He actually wrote a lot of, of the Psalms. So as we get into Psalm 29 again, we're trying to get after this question, what is worship? And, and I think this Psalm of David is going to help us answer that question. Let's read Psalm 29, starting verse 1. He says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Someone say, Ascribe. When was the last time you used the word ascribe in casual conversation, right? Amen. That's one of those Bible words you can read over and be like, yes, ascribe, quiet, wow, wonderful, right? And you, we don't really know what ascribe means, right? Like, the the definition of ascribe is even tricky because it's like to attribute character or quality to. Well, okay, when was the last time you attributed characters and qualities to something, right? Like, like ascribing is like saying things about stuff, (laughs) It's, it's saying character qualities about a person, about a thing. It's like saying all runners are scrawny, right? You're ascribing scrawniness to runners. All nurses are kind, right? Hopefully. Well, about some of you guys, Jackson. But um, all, all wrestlers are weirdos. That is just true. That's a fact. Undisputed. Okay. It, it, it's, a, it's saying a character quality about a person, a group of people. It's, it's, to, it's to ascribe. I, I was ascribing just now. So he's saying, verse 1, ascribe, O heavenly beings. He's calling all of the angels, all of the angelic beings. If you know about like seraphim, these crazy glorious beings, he's saying, all of you guys ascribe, like declare about the Lord glory and strength. These things we can't even wrap our minds around, these crazy creatures with wings that, that circle God and worship him. David is saying, like, every single being, talk about how glorious and strong and big God is. I love the phrase in verse 2, ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name. No one, nothing in all of creation is actually due, is actually owed glory the way God is. They don't have the glory or the weightiness that God has. Here's here's this weird thing David is doing in the first two verses of the psalm. He is ascribing. He's saying God is glorious and strong. He's he's beautiful. And he's commanding ascribing. You see that? He's like saying God is like this and and you should talk about him like that. So, So he's ascribing and he's commanding ascribing at the same time. He's commanding all the hosts of heaven and everyone who's listening to just to fill out the phrase, God is huge, beautiful, powerful. As I was trying to think for a, a way for us to really get tangible with what it means to ascribe, I actually heard about something from this show, Antiques Roadshow. Any Antiques Roadshow fans in the house? Wow, I can't believe you guys outed yourself so quickly. I didn't even have to wait. Like, yep, all right, you and me, buddy, PBS members for life, let's go, right? <laughs> so, okay, for the rest of you, um, Antiques Roadshow is this thing where people bring old stuff and auctioneers and experts talk about their old stuff. 
And it's kind of because because some people are like, oh, I have this old lamp that I think is worth thousands of dollars. And the expert's like, that's a knockoff, actually. That's worth $5. You pay too much, right? And then other times, other special, beautiful PBS magic moments happen, okay? <laughs> I, I want to let you in. No, no, no. Enter in. Okay. PBS magic is going to happen tonight. Here's, here's what's going to happen. There's a guy who, who is a, he's a veteran, and when he was deployed, he bought a watch. And, and dude spent like a month's worth of, worth of salary on this watch, and he brings it in just to figure out, is this worth anything? All right? Turn your eyes to the screen. I'll, I want you to see this little Enter in with me. This is going to be a scribe. And this particular model, being marked oyster, is and this particular model, being marked oyster, is extremely, extremely rare. A watch like this at auction is worth about $400,000. <laughs> There's more. You Keep okay? going. Come on. Don't fall. I'm not done Too late, yet. man. I said a watch like yours because of the condition of it. Basically, it's a new old stock watch. No wear on it the original foil sticker on the back of it, and the fact that we have all this complete documentation here also. Maybe one of the very few in the whole world that still was never worn. Your watch at auction today, five hundred dollars to $700,000. You're good. No, yeah. um, We're in church, very guys. Very serious. Okay. Oh, it's an absolute fabulous find. It's one of the rarest Paul Newman models. And in this condition, I don't think there's a better one in the world. Can't thank you enough for bringing me one of the greatest watches to ever see on Antiques Roadshow. And thank you very much for your service. Unbelievable. You can't wear it, though. Oh. If you wear it, it drops down to the $400,000 value. Only $400,000, fine. <laughs> the guy's going to be able to buy a lot of headbands, okay? L listen to me, though. Listen to me. Did, did that auctioneer make that watch valuable? No. no. <laughs> Sorry. That's what you get being in the front row. He, he, didn't, he didn't make the watch valuable. He pointed out the value it already had, right? Like the day before this guy brought it in, it was worth that much. The week before it was worth that much, he just didn't know. And, and what did the auctioneer do? He, he ascribed value to it. He showed the guy the qualities of this watch. He goes, look at this foil sticker on the back. Because that's still on there, it's worth 50000 more. Look at it. Says, it says oyster right there. Like That's a, a rare limited run. He, he pulls apart every aspect of this watch and says, you have this paper, you have this documentation. It's worth up to $700,000. He's just highlighting what's true about the watch. The dude falls over for a watch. Think about the God of the universe. Think about the infinite, endless, fathomless glory of the God of the universe, beauty and strength and holiness. In eternity, we will never get to the end of how worthwhile he is. We'll be praising him and being transformed from one degree of glory to the next as we keep exploring how boundless our God is. Words fail to say how worth it God is. 
As we start to understand worship, we see that worship is about ascribing to God, just saying true things about who God is, highlighting things, ascribing the glory to his name. Worship is ascribing, declaring true things about God to God and to ourselves in that process. Not that we have it, but that, but that we respond to who he is. But how do you know what to ascribe to God? Like, how do we become that auctioneer that, that knows, like, how to celebrate and highlight those things about God? How do, we, how do we learn to say, God, you are, and fill it in? We need to understand who God is and figure out what he's like so that we can appropriately, accurately ascribe. Look at the next verses. Our, our boy David's going to spit some bars, okay? This is Hebrew poetry. Buckle up. You'll, you'll love it, okay? Verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Pause there. He, he's starting to paint this picture, almost like inspired by a thunderstorm of how huge and powerful God is. Again, it, it's this picture of a thunderstorm rolling in. And remember, he's in the Middle East, right? He's used to places that are maybe desolate lands. One of the ways that God described the promised land of the Israelites is, is it's a place not like Egypt where the rivers overflow, but actually storms come in. They roll in over the mountains. And so David's got this picture of a storm, and he's going like, man, that, that's reminding me of God's voice coming in. He says the voice of the Lord is over the waters. It's, it's a picture of the sea. It's supposed to bring to mind a little bit of Genesis 1, or, or in Israel, it borders on the Mediterranean. The sea was this vast, wild place. God's voice is over the waters. It's a picture of power. The storm brings to mind God's activity over all of creation. But all look at it through the power of God's voice. Again, think back to Genesis 1. God speaks and galaxies are created. He doesn't have to like get into creation or he's not like Zeus sitting up there like slinging bolts. He just whispers, he speaks and all of time is set in motion. His voice is all the power he needs. Look at verses five and six. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. Okay, cedars. We're not known for our cedars in Iowa, right? But, but cedars were, were kind of like their version of redwood, these old, massive, huge trees. And even today, the flag for Lebanon has a cedar tree on it. It stood for power. It, it was like age, like a massive oak you can think of that's hundreds of years old. That's what, that's what these cedars are like. They represent timelessness and strength. But again, look at verse 5. God whispers, and the biggest trees in their known world snap like twigs at his voice. Power and strength and stability are nothing before this God. Verse 6 says, Syrian, like a young wild ox. That, that Syrian, that word means breastplate. It was the name for a mountain range. It was kind of a, a protective mountain range for Lebanon. And it was called breastplate because it was huge and imposing and strong and armies couldn't get through, right? So what's the picture he has? This, these imposing mountains are skipping like a young wild ox. You guys ever see a calf after, after it was born? 
Okay, they're like stupid, funny creatures, right? They can't walk and they're like moving around like this. He's saying the biggest mountains that defend a whole country are like this before God, right? They can barely walk. They're skipping around like a calf let go in a field. God can wish snap cedars. He can ask the mountains and they will skip and dance before him like an ox. His voice does that. All of the strength and the power and the majesty of, of these countries that are north of Israel, they're nothing before the voice of this God. Verse 7. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. This is more that storm picture, right? Lightning coming down. The wilderness of Kadesh is at the south of Israel. So he's talking about Lebanon to the north and Kadesh to the south. He's painting a picture like David is king over this long, skinny country. And he's saying from the north to the south, the longest reach, God's voice is over all of that, right? That, that's like you at Kirkwood being like, man, from Kirkwood Courts all the way to the Kirkwood Hotel, God's voice is over that, right? <laughs> or, or, you know, the Stang Gang at Mount Mercy is like, all across our, our hill, God is there, right? I don't know if, if Co is like, from first half to 380, the Lord is whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to help you out, right? Like, like everything under David's power, he's looking at the whole thing and saying, God is thundering across the whole place. This God is over all of it. Maybe, maybe you've heard the expression like, from sea to shining sea, just trying to express everything within his limits. God is over it in power. That's kind of the end of this middle section. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all my glory. This is where David gets particularly poetic. I don't know if y'all Hebrew scholars up in here, but the word for deer or gazelle rhymes with forest. So he's like, the deer's ears hear the Lord. Whoa, right? He's rhyming it out. He's, he's flexing his language just to talk about how big God is. The voice of the Lord strips forth bear. Like desolation, judgment accomplished at God's voice, but also makes the deer give birth intimacy and life and care. He has the power to do all of it. All of it is under his authority by the power of his voice. Again, desolation if he wants or making life happen at his voice. David is, is flexing his language to try to just talk about how amazing this God is. And, and, and that final line, in his temple, all cry glory. If you're at the conference, Jake talked about glory, weightiness, magnificence, like impact. People in the, the temple, people gathering to worship God are responding, just shouting and ascribing to God what and who he already is. Glory and power. God is big. They're having a God quake. Two things to see from, from these verses. One, over and over, God ta or David talks about God's voice. That's supposed to ring in our ears from Genesis 1, the way God creates. But it, it tells us that our God is a speaking God. He tells us who he is. He's not waiting for you to kind of guess and patch him together. He's going to tell us who he is, and he interacts with his creation through his word, through his speech. David knew God was speaking because he had the Torah. He had God's word, the book 
that God gave. God gave his promises to, to people like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. He guided them and led them by his voice. Our God has spoken. He is speaking still through the pages of the Bible. This isn't a dead book. This is God's voice active. If you want to hear God's voice in your life, get around God's book. Like literally, if you want to hear God's voice, read this thing out loud. It's his word to you. And invite his spirit to, to do what he promised to make the word alive in your heart. Like maybe you struggle to worship because you've not actually listened to his voice. We know who our God is because he's a speaking, self-revealing God. But I said there were two parts of this, right? Worship is responding to who God says he is. But, it, but it's his voice and also David is pointing out his work. The work he accomplishes through his work. He uses God's work and activity in nature to fuel his worship. Do you see that? Romans 1 says God has revealed his, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and his divine nature in created things so that people everywhere are without excuse to know that there is this God. God's painted his attributes over all of creation. He wants to inspire your worship through, through the work of his hands. We can see God's work in his life when we get to know who he is and what he does. Like when you begin to hear his voice and, and see the kind of God he says he is, that, that almost tunes you into see his work in action. Like hearing his voice through his word trains you to actually see his fingerprints, his work in your life. Like maybe if you were to write a psalm, it wouldn't be God is glorying and thundering over, over Kadesh, right? You've never written that before. But maybe as you start to get into his voice, you go, God, you're powerful and you're working through, through my suffering. Like, I see your fingerprints all over my family. I see your fingerprints all over how you put me in this class with this person to share. Like, you're working, God. You're powerful. Things that used to seem random or unconnected or, or, or lucky or unlucky, whatever, we, as we tune into God's voice through his word, as he, as he teaches us, we begin to understand the truth that God is moving in power and he's intimately bringing life and light into your life. Worship is responding to God's work in creation and in your life. There are two final verses, one kind of final idea in this psalm. David moves to kind of complete this poem, and I think he had in mind the fact that you could read all of this and go, okay, I get God is big. I get God is powerful, but how do I know? If I'm not one of those heavenly beings, how do, how do I know I can enter in and meet with this God? Like, how do I know he's for me and not just a big cosmic boss or bully or abuser? He's big, but is he good? Look at verses 10 and 11. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. Again, there's power here. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. God is king. He sits on the throne, and God is the kind of king that you can pray to and ask for him to bless and bring strength and peace. Now, someone tell me, who, who wrote this psalm? And David was king. But David says, even though I'm king, there's actually someone else who's on the throne above me. Like, yeah, I, I get I'm king, but there's actually one who sits enthroned above all kings, all thrones, 
one who has authority over every human institution. He's not just a man. Worship is an expression of position, submission to God as king. Worship is always positioning ourselves under the things we're worshiping. Even if you're worshiping things less than God, you're positioning yourself underneath those things as part of what worship is. God is a good king who is for his people. He gives us strength. He blesses us with peace. And guys, that's a comfort as we worship our God. He is a good king. And no matter how powerful he is, he's intimately close to his people and we can cry out to him. Worship is an expression of our relationship we have with our good king. See, David worshiped God for everything he knew about God. Like, he's, he's spilling all of his language to try to declare the things he knows about God. He's, he's stretching the limits of history, rhyming the, the deers with the forest, with whatever, to talk about how big and good this God is. And, and David worshipped with everything God had revealed about who he is. But you and I actually have an image over David. We actually get a bigger, more full picture of who this God is. You actually have more fuel for your worship than King David. And he was called a man that that walked with God, a man after God's own heart. You actually, you actually can worship more fully and freely than David did. As I was reading this psalm and and trying to understand this picture of a storm, um, actually during my just regular Bible reading, uh, a story that, um, that really tied this story together for me. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. You don't have to turn there, but we'll have it up on the screens. This is in Mark's account of Jesus' life. On that day, he's kind of like in a, in a set of teaching and action, whatever. On that day when evening came, he, Jesus, said to them, his disciples, let, it go, let us go across the other side. They're leaving a crowd. They're kind of going across this like mini sea, this lake. They're getting in a boat. Leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, a mega storm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. Like Mark loves to talk about this action because he wants you to picture yourself there. Any sailors in the room? Come on, get an amen. Okay, Kyler, yep, all right. Hey, I love sailing, and I've been capsized a couple times, so I get this viscerally. Just enter into my moment, okay? You're in the boat, right? You're sailing across. You don't have a life jacket because it's the first century, right? You're wearing one of those dude dresses, right? All right. Okay, it's getting wet. There's like water coming into the boat. And what happens if your boat goes down in the middle of a giant lake? You drown. You die. The power of nature overwhelms you. You are overcome. A huge storm comes up. They're scared. The boat is filling with water. And they're like bailing it out with their hands or whatever, right? But check this out, verse 38. But he, Jesus, was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Jesus is napping, guys. Jesus took naps, be like Jesus. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Like, don't you care? Like, we're dying right now. Why, why aren't you at least awake with us? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea and said, Peace. Be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. There was a mega calm. There used to be a mega storm, and now there's a mega calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you so, still no faith? 
They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They were afraid of the storm because they thought they were dying, but when the storm was gone, they were more afraid of the guy who was napping in the boat. Let me tell you why, though. Listen, Jesus performed many miracles, but but some of those other people in the Bible performed. He multiplies loaves and fishes. There there are other miracles in the Old Testament where food is multiplied. Like, the, the... Hebrew people knew about Moses who brought plagues or brought the law down. They had epic teachers in their history. But all throughout the Bible, there is only one person that comes on the cloud and commands storms. That is Yahweh, the God of the entire Bible. That is the only storm bringer. In fact, Psalm 127 verse 9 is this picture of God interacting with all kinds of people. And in that psalm, there, there are people in a boat. And they're dying in this boat. They're, they're going to drown. And they call out to God. And this is what Psalm 127, uh, 29 says. He made the storms be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. He there is Yahweh, the great, massive God that spoke and created all of existence that makes the cedars break with his whisper, that makes the mountains skip like a calf Jesus in the boat says, hush. And the storm hushed. They ask the question, who is this? But they know the answer. Because there's only one person that can do that, and that's God. You have more fuel to worship because God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. And David saw that God was both big and but he also saw that God was good and would bless his people. He saw a picture of that, but you actually can see more. This massive God that has orchestrated all of history stepped down into human history to prove to you not just his power, but his goodness for you. Who is this that the wind and the sea should obey him? The enthroned Lord that is worthy of all praise and glory and ascribing strength. Who, who would step down into his creation to die for a soul like you. He could snap you like a twig with his voice and you and I deserve it. Like we deserve to be stripped bare like the wilderness because of our rebellion against that God who sits on the throne. You deserve that and so do I. But instead of being stripped bare, he actually steps in to offer you life. He offers us everyone the chance if we trust him and put our faith in Jesus' finished work that he would take the punishment that you deserve for your sin. That he would be snapped like a twig so that you could have life and worship him with the heavenly beings forever. They were terrified when the sea was calm because they knew the one in the boat was the God of old who is due all glory. He's offering you the chance to worship him. Let me tell you guys, worship is your response to who God is and what he's done. It's your response. It's not just David's response. It's not just the person sitting next to you. It's, it's you seeing the picture that God has painted of his character as he's revealed himself through not only the the whole story of the Bible, but Jesus Christ offering you life with him now when you trust him. 
Man, worship is just saying he's worth it and putting some chords to it. So let me ask you, with all of that, why do you not worship? Like, why do you and I struggle worship? Maybe for some of you, you are not awed by Jesus. You're, you're not amazed by what God has done. You've been around this stuff so long, it seems really normal to you. I can tell you all about what Jesus has done, and your heart isn't moved because, yeah, yeah, you kind of already got that. That's for someone else. I bet you don't actually see the ways that God is speaking and moving in your life. I bet his voice feels really distant to you because you've gotten really used to kind of tuning it out. Like for you, Jesus is good, but he's not big. He's certainly not worth falling over on the ground about. You've got a really small view of God, one that fits into the, your opinions and your preferences and the box you've got for him already. You kind of know it all. Tonight, you need to repent of your awelessness. You need to repent of your lack of worship. You need to repent of how small you've seen God to be. Tonight, confess to him and respond to who he really is, his voice and his work as he's declared himself to be. Let yourself be overwhelmed by how good and massive our God is, that he could crush you for your pride, and yet he offers you grace again and invites you in. For others, you get that God is big. You, you get that he's powerful. You, you get that you're screwed up and you don't deserve to be with him. You might even see him as king, but to you, he's always been kind of cold, distant, and far away. And when I talk about Jesus reaching out, you're not even sure if you can accept the offer he's giving you. Jesus is big, but you're not sure if he's good. But let me tell you again, he was never absent. He has never been hiding himself from you. He's never been far away. He was never blind to what you were going through. Like this proof by stepping into our sin, our brokenness as humanity, and doing something about our pain. Like he actually stepped up and stepped into your life. Even as you see the pain in your life, maybe struggles that make it hard for you to worship, burdens you bring into this room on a Thursday night. Jesus is inviting you to turn your eyes to the speaking God. The one who's working all things, all pain, all struggle, all depression, all anxiety towards an eternity of glory. He sees exactly what you're going through. But you can worship now as a taste of glory to come. You can worship now as a calm in the eye of the hurricane, even if you back out, know that you have a God who is with you. Jesus proved it by dying on the cross. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to forget you. Don't just pretend he's good. Don't just put on a happy face for a Thursday night, but, but bring it all and lay it before him in his goodness and his presence. Friends, all of us, for all of us, our worship invites people in. Like it, it's this Thing that we do, but it's our thing, right? Like, this is our family business. We're up to this. And it's actually incredibly compelling to be in a room full of worshiping people. I love just like listening to you guys worship. My heart is provoked to God more by your worship, by you declaring that Jesus is worth everything. When I was a freshman in high school, I came to know Jesus during, during like a Wednesday night service on the back end worship. I just 
stopped and I listened and I had to do business with God as people around me worshiped. Like you're worshiping because God deserves it. You're worshiping because you need it. You might be worshiping as a witness to the people around you of who God is. We want to be a worshiping people, Salt Company. We are, we are answering the question, what is worship, by saying, man, it's just us saying God is worth it. It is your response to the fact that God is worth it. We need you to be a worshiper, not a spectator, not a critic, but an active worshiper because your worship of God during the week is going to spill into this room and in this room is going to spill out to your week, to the lives of the people of God around us. So let's be people together that get to know God through his word, that hear his voice, that see his work in our lives, and that respond by ascribing to him how big and valuable he really is. Let's be people that fall on our seats, fall on the ground when we hear about how big and amazing our God really is. The world needs more worshipers of the true God. Your campus needs more worshipers of the true God. We need more awe of God, awed people, not awed, awed people inviting the world in just, just by how we respond and say he is worth it. So let, let's pray together and let's do that. Let's worship him together. Let's pray. Yeah, Jesus, you're worth it. You're worth it and I confess that sometimes I don't, I don't sing like you're worth it. And sometimes I have to coach my heart because I've been awed and overwhelmed by so many other things. I confess there are times where I know you're good, but I don't see that you're big. Or I'm big, but I don't, I don't feel that you're good. Tonight, as we all bond and worship together, please teach us. Teach us to sing that you are worth it and change us as we position ourselves under you. Jesus, show each and every one of us how big and how good you really are. We praise in your name. Amen.